A careful reading of the Book of Mormon gives us a bit of a history in how these people sought to fight war and to avoid war. When would they engage violence and when would they leave town so that they wouldn't have to? As we read carefully, we're going to find groups of people struggling with this idea, being led by God sometimes to defend, sometimes to find a way to attack, and sometimes finding a way how did God actually fight their battles like he said he would. Join us today for this important discussion, I think, about the art of war and avoidance of war in the Book of Mormon, in the war chapters. Thanks for joining us today. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Welcome to uh, today's class. Uh, obviously, this class is going to sound a little bit different because after we went ahead and had the, the class and had a great discussion, uh, we had some audio difficulties, and we're having a hard time uh, capturing what it is that we actually said in class. So I'm going to go back over uh, the important points of this class because I think this is, this is quite an important one as we start talking about uh, the stripling warriors in the Book of Mormon. Now the lead into this is sets up kind of a conundrum uh, I think for all of us and that is that one of the the beefs I think that sometimes critics of Christianity have and they will some of it's pointed directly at uh, the church for this in the Book of Mormon is that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, openly uh, declares that uh, Jesus of the New Testament is Jehovah of the Old Testament. And we believe this, that's the same God involved. This is God descended in the New Testament. Well, the problem for unbelievers and those that would be critical of Christianity has, oft, has often to do with the idea that this God God of the Old Testament who seems uh, angry, he seems jealous, uh, he seems prone to violence, he seems prone to uh, instructing his prophets uh, to be violent. Uh, take a look at Joshua wiping out the lands of the, the Canaanites, every man, woman, child, and beast. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, certainly is another one. Um, and so we get over and over this sense of this angry God who, who will visit with violence uh, early and often. And even in the Book of Mormon part of this, we get uh, 
that they are worshiping Jesus, but that this Jesus of Nazareth is the same one that at his at his uh, death and crucifixion, he causes whole cities like Zarahemla uh, to be destroyed. And again, this this God of turn the other cheek and recognizes the sparrows when they fall and and seems to be a very uh, non-warlike peacemaker while he walks on the earth and even maybe after his resurrection pre-incarnation he's he's destroying cities and angry and prophets believe that they're supposed to kill in his name and we don't know what to do with that that that's a challenge about how we balance those two now we get a we get a sense though because god is going to say also to his prophets uh certainly in the last dispensation and and later in the book of mormon he's going to say i will fight your battles now watch really closely how though how God will go to great lengths to not have to visit with violence. He will do everything possible to avoid that, uh, it appears. And a really good example of this is we're going to start today by taking a look at going over to 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. Now, this is interesting because this is a story that we know partly. Uh we've used this i've certainly used this but we know the first part of the story but very rarely do we ever quote the second part of the story so it leaves us with one impression but then it's actually leading towards another let me show you what i mean on this second kings says uh this is elijah that that comes out and they're being uh attacked by an army from syria and we remember it says when the when the servant of the man of God uh, arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all about the city. And this young servant says to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? And he says to this boy, Do not be afraid. And here's the key phrase. For those who are with us are more than those who be with them. Now, that's the Lord of hosts speaking, the Lord of the hosts of heaven. Okay, Those that are with us are more than those that be with them. But he also recognizes that he has a, a uh, servant with mortal blindness and isn't aware of, of what's available and what could happen. And then it says, Elisha prays and says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. You know, he's blind. Help him to be see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. What does he see? Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, don't mess with this prophet. Look at the army that is backing him up. Nobody's going to defeat him. So now the man is able to see, and and there's an army here. But when the Syrians come down against him, here's here's how the Elisha's going to fight this battle. Elisha prays to the Lord and plays, and says, "Please strike this people." 
Aha! But he then he adds, with blindness. Please strike this people. Please strike this people with blindness. And he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Okay. What's going to happen here is instead, yes, they're being struck, they're being defended, but not in a violent way. They're being defended uh, with blindness. And I, I love the, the superimposing the blindness of the, the uh, servant mixing now with, the, with uh, the Syrians who are being struck blind. So he struck them with blindness according to the prayer of Elisha. Now, look at what Elisha is going to do with this. Elisha says to this blind army, Hey, this is not the way, and this isn't even the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man you seek. I'm going to take you where you want to go. What does he do? <laughs> he leads them to Samaria. In other words, he's going to lead them out of town. He's got a blind army, and I don't know if it's like put your hand in front of the guy in front of you or something, but he leads them away from Jerusalem and to Samaria. Uh, is he laying a trap here? Well, look what happens. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha says, Okay, now, O Lord, open the eyes of this, these men that they may see. And when the Lord opens their eyes, they see, and behold, wait, we're in the midst of Samaria. <laughs> and, when, and as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he says to Elisha, um, yeah, there's an opportunity here. We ought to take advantage of this thing. And he says to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Uh, we got them. We got them away from uh, town. Let's, can we strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Listen, now, listen to Elisha's answer. He says, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those that you've taken captive with your sword and your bow? We've captured this army. They are now helpless. Um, what are we going to do with them? Well, here's what he does. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Feed them and send them home. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master in Syria. Now, I love the little epitaph on this. It says, the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Now, we know from, you read further into Second Kings, they were attacking and marauding other areas, but the Syrians did not attack Israel anymore. In other words, they achieved peace by feeding their enemy, blinding them, feeding them, sending them away. It, it, seems, it seems that there's a pattern here that you watch get stronger over time of the Lord dealing with uh, his enemies, his way, but so often it's in a way that is very loving and nonviolent, and he's anxious to not have to fight. The Lord of hosts will defend, and sometimes he's had to, but he's going to do everything possible, first of all, to not have to fight. Um, now, this then rolls, this whole idea then rolls into the uh, Book of Mormon as well. 
Because think about Book of Mormon uh, people, uh, especially the Nephites most of the time, where they are always in danger of being attacked and destroyed and their freedom lost. Um, but what we watch over and over is that there's, a, there's an ongoing question that happens uh, with, these, with these people, and that is, when do you fight and when do you flee? When, when do you stand up and defend yourself and when do you just leave town? And we certainly have a number of times where the Nephites uh, had to defend themselves against the Lamanites uh, and certainly had to fight and there certainly had to be a lot of bloodshed. But think about how many times, whether it was uh, Nephi originally leaving the land of Nephi to go to Zarahemla, whether it was the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who would not fight, but then would flee rather than have to fight. Whether it was Alma having to flee uh, King Noah, and they're going to flee. Or, you know, Limhi flees. We just have over and over a number of prophets who choose rather than f whatever. We've got a great town here, but rather than fight, we will leave if there if there's any way for us to do that and as it turns out they do this uh, on a regular basis now that then brings us into uh, one of the 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 story we're going to talk today about the uh, stripling warriors and you remember that the whole idea of the this great battle that takes place in, and this ongoing war, the 17-year war that happens in the Book of Alma, begins because the Lamanites, still feeling betrayed by the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, the former Lamanites, make plans to come out of Nephi, and they're going to pour up towards the land of Zarahemla and attack these people who have been plopped into the land of, of uh, Jershon to be protected. And, and the Nephites make a covenant with the, the Ammonites, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They make a covenant that if you get attacked, we'll defend you. We'll bring our armies around and put them between you and the Lamanites, and we will, we will fight. Uh, now, so there, there's, a, there's a story here then that takes place in Alma 53. And, you know, what I need us to see here, this is very cool. We have two versions of a decision that is made. And one version is told by Mormon, who's doing the abridgment of the Book of Mormon. And the other story is in his own words of Helaman. And it's the story of why it is that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, the Ammonites, who wanted to fight to defend themselves, chose not to do that at Helaman's pleading. Here's the first story, and it happens in Alma 53. Uh, in Alma 53, uh, it says, verse 13, it came to pass that when these uh, Ammonites uh, saw the danger and the many afflictions and tribulations which the Nephites bore for them, they were moved with compassion and desirous to take up arms in defense of their country. 
But behold, it says, as they were about to take up their weapons of war, they were overpowered by what? By the persuasions of Helaman and his brethren, for they were about to break the oath which they had made. Now, here's, here's Mormon's explanation, verse 15. Helaman feared, lest by doing so, by taking up arms, they should lose their souls. That they had made a covenant, and if they broke this covenant, they would lose their salvation. Therefore, all those who had entered into the covenant were compelled to, be, to watch their brethren wade through afflictions in this dangerous circumstances of time. They were willing to give themselves up because they didn't necessarily want to see the Nephites having to pr protect them. And as you recall, uh, then what's going to happen is uh, there's kind of a loophole in the plan here. Behold, it came to pass that they had many sons who had not entered into that covenant, and they would not and they would not take up the war to defend themselves against their enemies. Uh, therefore, they could send their sons. Therefore, they did assemble themselves together at this time And what they decided to do was, as many were able, of these sons, these boys, they were able to take up arms and they called themselves Nephites. <laughs> now, what's happening here is they're now making a, a new covenant. This is a new promise where our fathers made a covenant not to fight. We're going to make a covenant to fight, to defend and protect the freedom. But... As there is with most covenants, when you take on a new covenant, you agree to do certain things, and you take on generally a new name. A new name expresses that you are now working under a new covenant. And they did take under a new name. Here's the interesting thing. These Ammonites, these young anti-Nephi-Lehi sons, these stripling warriors, say they were able to take up arms, and they called themselves... Nephites. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We're, we're no longer going to be called anti-Nephi-Lehi's. If we're going to be fighting, our covenant is going to be we are Nephites. And we will do what Nephites do, not what Ammonites do. And that is to fight. Um, and what's their covenant? They'd, it says they covenanted that they would never give up their liberty, but they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites, and themselves from bondage. Now, that's the story we get in Alma 53. This is Helaman's talking to them and persuading the fathers not to fight, but allowing the sons to make a new covenant to defend, which would be very helpful to the army right at this moment. But in Helaman's own words, if we, it just, if we hop over to Alma 56, we're going to find out that Alma, that Helaman, pardon me, has a, a, a different motivation for why he did not want to fight. And what he's going to do is he's going to write a letter to Mormon, uh, Cap, or Captain Moroni, and explain what's going on with these Ammonites who are now called Nephites, but he has a different motivation for not wanting their fathers to fight. 
in verse in verse six of Alma uh, fifty six, he says, "And now, Mormon, uh, or Captain Moroni, ye know concerning the covenants which their fathers had made, that they would not take up their weapons of war against their brethren to shed blood. But in the twenty and sixth year, when these fathers these people saw our afflictions and our tribulations. They were about to break the covenant which they had made and take up their weapons of war in our defense. Now, listen, listen to his fear. And I, I think it's an interesting one. But I would not suffer them, Helaman says, I would not suffer them that they should break this covenant which they had made, supposing, and here's the logic, supposing that God would strengthen us in so much that we should not suffer more because of the fulfilling of the oath they had taken. Now, let me read that again. I would not suffer them that they should break the covenant they had made because I believed that God would strengthen us, give us strength and power we didn't naturally have would protect us, would lift us, supposing that God would strengthen us in so much that we would not suffer more. We're going to be blessed because we are protecting these people who made the covenant. And if we allow them to break the covenant, we're not going to have the strength or ability that we really need. We will be better off by fighting and they keep their covenant than if they fight alongside us and break their covenant. Because he was so worried that that, the breaking of the covenant would actually weaken them in some ways or withhold some strength from them. So it's kind of almost a a self-protective thing. I need them to not fight so we'll be stronger. And we'll take the loophole that says our strength will be that their sons will fight with us but even if, our, if, even if the sons didn't fight, we will be stronger because they kept their covenants. Now, there can be a long discussion here, brothers and sisters. There, there, there really, really can about are we, are we stronger, are we strengthened, do we, do we receive blessings from God that we wouldn't normally have and strength and ability that we wouldn't normally have Because we're going to protect somebody who is, who is making a decision to do what they do. It's a good question. But it's very, but it's obvious that, and, and we don't even know necessarily if this is true, if God would have protected them less or strengthened them less if the, if the Ammonites had broken their covenant. But what we do know for sure is that Helaman believed it, and Helaman acted on it. And part of the decision-making that was going on here was based on the idea that Helaman needed them not to fight, persuaded them not to fight. They chose not to fight on the idea that the Nephites would be stronger if they kept that original covenant of pathicism. Uh, non-fighting <laughs> right okay now so then we take these these uh, 
2,000 stripling warriors. A stripling, by the way, in the, in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, a stripling is a fast-growing tree, small sapling. Sapling would probably be better than stripling. It's a small tree, and it's growing quickly. How young were they? Well, if we go back and we look at um, the original battle, that caused the 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 anti-Nephi Lehi's to have to leave uh, the land of Nephi is because they were being slaughtered because they they wouldn't fight. Now that original slaughter, if you look at the um, the chronology in the Book of Mormon, it's going to suggest that that from a timeline. From the moment that the 2,000 stripling warriors are taking up arms, that timeline is 13 years ago. That original slaughter is 13 years past. So this is 13 years later. Now, if, they, if these striplings, if these saplings, if these young boys were going to be in their teens, maybe somewhere between... 13, 14, to maybe as old as 18, 19, 20, something like that, okay? We're talking about moments that are 13 years ago. What that would mean is that probably the vast majority of that group would either have been very, very young when it occurred or hadn't yet been born or that they would have early memories of it but not much because you're talking about kids that might have been three or four or five when when the the anti-Nephi-Lehi's knelt down and were slaughtered uh, by their brethren. Thirteen years. That means that there's a great possibility that the majority of them didn't even remember what had happened or they would be small enough to not remember very well. Now, when, so hold on to that idea. It's 13 years in the past. There comes a moment then when th these 2,000 warriors figure out a way to fight but not fight. And so what they're going to do, you remember, is that they're going to march past a number of cities that the Lamanites have taken control of. They're just going to march past with provisions, these guys are starving under siege in these cities. They're just going to march past. We, we got food. We're just going to. We're on our way somewhere else, and we're just going to kind of be uh, obviously marching right past your town. And we're young. And so the word goes out in these cities that this young army with all kinds of food is marching past. And you remember what they do? The strongest army pours out of that city. We can quickly overtake these guys, destroy them, get the food, and get back to town. And that's what they do. But it turns out, so they, they start to follow the stripling warriors and Helaman, who then lead them on a long goose chase, who lead them away from there, but not fight them. They're doing everything possible to not fight. How can we pull them out of the city and reclaim the city? without having to fight. This, well, this is one way we'll do it. We'll do it by deception. So they're going to follow, and they follow. And then remember that the, the Nephites uh, under Antipas 
start following them. So we have we have this, the army of Antipas following the Lamanites who are following Helaman's army, the great goose chase. And at some point, though, uh, the Lamanites decide what's up. They're going to turn around and attack Antipas. Uh, and and then the moment comes for these for these stripling warriors. Will they fight? And should they fight? Well, as it turns out, Helaman gives them another chance uh, to either fulfill the covenant or make a decision. Now, he says uh, in verse 43, Whether they were taken by Antipas, we didn't know. But I said unto my men, We do not know that they halted for a purpose, that we should come against them, but they might catch us in the snare. Therefore, I say unto you, my sons, Will ye go against them to battle? Will you fight? For the first time, will you fight? Now I say unto you, uh, Moroni, never had I seen such great courage among the Nephites. They'd ever, I'd ever called them my sons. They were very young. And they said, Father, behold, our God is with us, and he will not suffer that we should fall. Therefore, let us go forth. We would not, we would not, just a, a reminder, we would not slay our brethren if they would let us alone. Therefore, let us go, lest they overpower the army of Antipas. We don't care, we, but we're going to do this to protect Antipas. Now, he's going to say, they didn't think any more upon the liberty. They thought more about the liberty of their fathers than they did upon their own lives. And then this phrase that we get kind of every uh, Mother's Day, right? Um, Yea, they were taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. Now, they rehearsed unto me, he says, the words of their mothers, saying we did not doubt that our mothers knew it. Now, I think, let's go back to the idea. These, are, these guys are young. The battle, the original battle that, and slaughter of the thousand anti-Nephi Lehi's took place 13 years earlier. I find it interesting that these guys are going to say they rehearsed unto me the words of their mothers, and then they're going to say, we do not doubt that our mothers knew it. Now, to me, that has two chilling possibilities. One is that they, know, they knew about the slaughter 13 years ago, not by their own memory, but they knew because their mothers knew it. Their mothers had taught them by tradition. And they were going to trust in that, uh, in, in, in that tradition, that memory, much the way that we kind of maybe celebrate the handcart companies. We, we weren't there to see the handcarts, but by tradition, we know that there was quite a, a great tragedy and a sacrifice that happened in what they did. But it also remains, too, that if you just simply do the math, we don't know how many anti-Nephi-Lehites came out of the land of Nephi. 2,000 is a lot of boys. Uh, and for 1,000 anti-Nephi-Lehites to be slaughtered, there were a lot of men and women who allowed themselves to be killed. So that finally raises the age-old question of, for these stripling warriors who knew that their mothers knew it 
how many of these stripling warriors were orphans? How many of these boys knew that their mothers knew it? Some because they had been taught at mother's knee and had been taught. Some who knew that their mothers knew it because they were told about their fathers who had allowed themselves to be killed. And how many of these boys possibly their mothers knew it because their mothers had also sacrificed their lives for them. And they had laid down their lives that they might live in the same way that the Nephites were laying down their lives to protect the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And that these boys were going to make sure that the remainder of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and to as much as they could the Nephites would be protected by trying to defend themselves against the Lamanites with as little violence as possible but doing the necessary thing. We, we would not slay our brethren, remember, if they would let us alone. But they're not. Therefore, let us go, lest they overpower the army of Antipas, who is trying to protect us. We don't doubt that our mothers knew. You do everything possible not to fight. But there can be a sacrifice. And we're willing now as Nephites to step up and protect this. The idea of defending is important against those who would destroy and take of liberty. But brothers and sisters, there are going to be times when we make a decision. And there may be some times when the most kind act we can make against those that have malice on their minds to hurt us would actually be to flee, to not fight, unless it's at all necessary. In so many quarters, this would be seen as cowardice. This would be seen as maybe having a lack of faith. But over and over in the Book of Mormon, we keep getting this story of how do we not fight? If God is going to fight our battle, sometimes what he does, he puts our enemies to sleep. Think Alma. He puts our enemies to sleep and we're able to escape. Not fight and kill them while they're there, but he puts them to sleep or he blinds them and we're able to escape. I think it's incumbent on us as we actually look at uh, the Book of Mormon that these were, yes, these were patriots, but they were also men and women of God who strove not to inflict violence on those that weren't ready yet to meet their maker. They were trying not to do this. And section 98 of the Doctrine and Covenants gives us some similar verbiage about trying to avoid the first offense and second offense. And then if it's the third time, you're justified. But justified is a long ways from, that's not ideal. If you decided there was a first offense and a second offense and then a third offense and you still chose not to fight, you would have been justified in fighting. But perhaps more blessed are ye if you continue to not fight and find a way maybe to flee unless it's absolutely necessary 
in the defense of someone else. I think that's one of the messages that is raised here as part of this. Brothers and sisters, it's my, it's my testimony that part of what we learn from the war chapters is not so much how to, st how to stand up and fight, but it's how to figure out how to fight as little as possible. That sometimes in our fleeing, we may find that God will fight our battles, but he will simply blind them and then lead them away rather than have to send people unprepared into the next life. Uh, to have to uh, face the, the consequences of what they did. I pray that we can do that, uh, especially as we're reading through the Book of Mormon. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you have any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.